It's the small, simple things that you can do on the daily that add up. Ahoy, and welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast, presented by Hippo Direct. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's unleashing creativity to grow their business. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing dude at Hippo Direct, and you can hit me up at max at hippodirect.com where I'll answer any of your questions on podcasting or digital marketing. This is episode number 34, and today we have the ginger cannon, Ryan Foland. He's a global keynote speaker and several-time TED Talker who's also a managing partner at Influence Tree. You'll hear about his famous 313 method for saying more with less, and also how doing something as simple as drawing stick figures every single day can help you inspire creativity. Ryan will have you crying. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Ryan Fullen, the world's greatest ginger, according to Ryan Fullen. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, there's a. There, I just want to make sure that we're accurate here in a world of fake news. Not only am I the the greatest ginger, I like that. That's cool. But also, hands down, the best hunger, hungry hippo player this side of the West Mississippi. Oh, there you go. Oh, man, I did not expect a, a West Mississippi. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a great example, because uh, I was just thinking that really, the only reason you agreed to do this podcast interview is because you enjoy the game of Hungry Hungry Hippos. So we have to, you know, this podcast is dedicated to Milton Bradley. So thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Milton and and Brad. <laughs> <laughs> But, but Ryan, thanks for coming on. Uh, this this will be a blast, and I'll be uh, playing Hungry Hippos, th- Hungry Hungry Hippos throughout in the background. So apologize for any excess noise. No, that's fine. And I think we have a lot to learn about hippos too. Did you know how much they eat in pounds of grass every day? <laughs> this is true. Shout out National Hippo Day. But Ryan, for anybody that isn't familiar with you yet, you mind giving a little bit of background of who you are, how you got started with your professional career, and what's the biggest thing you're up to today? Sure. So my history starts being, uh, I guess, originated as growing up in a family of educators. So both my parents were teachers and then principals and then administrators and then taught principals to become administrators. And I learned at an early age that all I really needed to do was bring home the solid grades and then I could pretty much get away with whatever I wanted. So I've always been Mm. one to push the envelopes, but not tear the envelopes. And that's an interesting balance in my character. Uh, I had a chance because they were on this academic calendar that every summer I would disappear to Catalina. So a big part of my life is how do I get back to Catalina, put myself out there into nature. I feel like I'm my best when I'm recharged. I've started the cloud challenge uh, because every time I think I need a break, I'll go outside and just look up and be in awe at the clouds <laughs> as they move slowly and they are their own big hippos in the sky. True. And so I encourage, I tweet out my photos of clouds and ask people from around the world to share their clouds. And then if I'm in the middle of whatever it is I'm doing cooped up inside, I'll take a sneak peek and check out some clouds from around the world. And my life has really been a balance between work hard and play hard. And I love to play in nature. So that's key. Now, being a ginger, which you pointed out, um, we are one of the most underrepresented, if not the most underrepresented minorities out there. But the good news is that we can all be a little more ginger, so we can all be ginger at heart. It's not about being the best. It's just about Mm. letting things roll off your shoulders because us gingers typically have been made fun of more than most. Maybe not more than most because we all get made fun of. But, you know, (laughs) I I had a a childhood plagued by bullying, and 
whether or not it was because I was a championship hungry hippo player or not that might have added into <laughs> it out of jealousy. But really, there was a certain breaking point where I actually locked my door. I was crying, listening, and don't worry, be happy. And my dad had a strict rule about no locked doors in the house. And so uh, there was just this perfect moment where my door was locked. I was at the lowest of lows, and he pretty much broke down the door and then metaphysically broke down my doors and said, we are going to enroll in karate right now. And that was a huge change point for me. So as soon as I started to learn that I'm speaking without saying anything, I started to grow confidence in, in my body language and I started to stand up to the bullies. And I found that the more I was confident, the less I'd actually have to fight. And so I, uh, you know, it was the first time I really gained self-respect and self-confidence. And that was a, a ma major turning point. You know, athletics was huge. I loved playing ice hockey. I was a pole vaulter. I was a wrestler. And just sort of came into my own in high school and channeled this inner nerd along with being the cool guy that was skateboarding and, yeah, drinking and smoking pot and having fun. And I always had this nice balance. Then I went to Santa Barbara and uh, UCSB. I'm a gaucho. I'm a ginger who is, who is also an Argentinian cowboy. And uh, I had a lot of fun up there and really got to know who I was, went in undeclared and ended up with a degree in business economics and dramatic art. And I've, I've learned on accident the power of communicating with storytelling and, and live people and just raw emotions. And so I have this weird balance between understanding the performing arts and understanding business. And that's really where, the, where my career has taken me to help people increase their clarity and confidence by making things into their most simplistic form, but not simpler. I mean, there's so many different things we can dive into here, but I have to ask first, the scene in Step Brothers, the Catalina wine mixer, that was inspired by your life, wasn't it? Yes, yes. I'll, okay. I'll take credit for things where they aren't due. Anything that has to do with Catalina, yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, just confirming. But actually, you, as you mentioned, with you know being a ginger and being bullied as a kid, I know that as part of your career, you've made an effort to give back and be sort of a leader in, in this bullying world. And, and that probably sounds like you're being a bully, but it's the other side <laughs> of things. <laughs> but can you speak a little bit about that, how your childhood experience inspired you to get involved and sort of give back? Yeah, I think we can all probably look back into our past and find lessons where things didn't necessarily go right and find a way to build on the lessons learned to help everybody else that's coming up through the ranks. And it wasn't that I was just bullied in middle school and elementary school. In retrospect, I've been bullied pretty hard in business. And so it was at a point where I had trusted a business partner and was betrayed and that same situation seemed to rehash again and, and popped up a few times in my life. And it took getting investigated by the FTC to have uh, the, the clear and cleanest slap across the face that pretty much knocked me down. And uh, at the end of the day, it's not just about kids bullying kids. It's about people being deceitful and, uh, and, and also mm -hmm. taking advantage of uh, loyalties and also not knowing how to communicate where their values start and where other values stop. And so at the end of the day, my, my passion for helping people through what might seem like them getting picked on is really an act in helping them to gain more confidence to uh, stand up to it. Now, there's no way that I'm going to get out there and, and stop bullying. It's just, I think, unfortunately, mm -hmm. human nature. Yet I do my, my daily task of trying to combat it by being good. I've got a big old sticker <clears throat> on my laptop that says, do good, be kind. And I really try to to emulate and practice what I preach. And I think that as opposed to stopping bullying, I think I'm more effective at building people up and building their self-confidence because 
trolls are hungry. And if you feed into what they say, whether it's online or offline, they're like a hungry, hungry hippo that just keeps on going. They want marbles until there's no more marbles to get. Oh my God. (laughs) I think I help people um, understand that, that the marbles are going to be eaten one way or another. And that the, really the two things you have control over and to anybody that's out there, that's been bullied, has a child that's being bullied, bullied at work, has a boss that's bullying them, or just is afraid of all that. My best piece of advice is that you only control two things. You don't control anything other than the fact that you have control over your attitude and how you react to things. So if you can sharpen those two different tools and learn to control your reactions and learn to influence your your attitude, then you know the negativity, the bullying isn't necessarily going to stop. But what's more important is how you are able to deal with it. And I think that one of my my passion projects right now is a book that we've written. Uh, I say we, Mr. Leonard Kim and myself, and it's called Ditch the Act, Unleashing the Surprising Power of the Real You for Greater Success. And I really feel like there's this heightened sensitivity to trying to put your perfect self out there in fear of not being perfect or not having people like you. And I found personally, the best way to differentiate myself is to actually be myself. And coming from someone who has historically not been good at sharing their emotions with just even friends and family, to share things that aren't going right online has been one of the most challenging things for me, but it has also been one of the most empowering because people don't really relate to you and your badassness. They relate to you in what didn't go right and where you are feeling bad or sad or angry or tired or mad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding that uh, I've been building a following for a long time, but I'm now building community and opening myself up a little bit more to people. So it's almost like the cure, the catch-all, the thing that will connect you the most is simply being yourself. But if you're afraid of being yourself as being picked on, then the, the missing step is the confidence within there. So right. I focus more on the executives, individuals who are leading these companies to help them create the communication and confidence that will trickle down. Because if you're at your job, but you're not comfortable explaining what you do, I think that you're missing a big part of life, right? Because you can have the best idea, but if you can't explain it well, it's not the best idea. You can love what you do, but if you can't explain it in a way that people are interested, then they're not going to love it as much. And so I, I try to find advice that is hiding in plain sight. And if you look at my four TEDx talks, they all are very simple, singular messages that are right there in front of you. They're looking at you in the face, but so many people are looking for hacks. So many people are looking for cheats. So many people are looking for up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, A, B, A, B, and Contra to get (laughs) both their lives. Not to have a specific example, shout out video game childhoods, but. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea, I, I really believe you can upgrade your life by learning how to communicate better. And that's not only Mm -hmm. verbally, but that's written, that's on video. And that's at the end of the day, learning how to get comfortable sharing with what isn't going right. And that's where the true connection comes. Yeah. And and you are clearly a master at that. And so I I have to say, I mean, I personally relate with your badassness, but your other stuff's pretty good too. Uh, in terms of your speaking and, and your message here, let's dive into something that you've invented that's very, very cool. So you have created this 313 method. Yes. For anybody that's not familiar with it yet, can you give a little intro to what that means and why it's yeah. not just the area code for Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that people talk too much. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and when you talk too much, you typically talk yourselves out of opportunity. You talk out of the sale. You talk in a way that doesn't let you connect more effectively with people. And so I believe that the act of figuring out what you are going to say is a big problem we're solving. And whether you're an entrepreneur with an idea or whether you're somebody who's trying to, uh, to build their own personal brand or whether you're an executive at the top of the company, one of the most powerful things you can do is say more by saying less. And uh, in working with thousands of people and trying to help them sharpen their messaging acts, I've come up with a system. I found myself repeating the same questions. I found myself putting people into the same boxes and I found people having the same epiphanies and the same aha moments. And it all clicked together instantly over about a five-year process, right? It's all, all came together in a, in, a, in a hot moment. You said instantly over five years. <laughs> yeah, right? Like the, like the overnight success that takes 20 or 30 years. It's, right, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's an asterisk there, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> some air quotes that you can't see. But this, this method is, think of it as like a litmus test to tease out the core messaging and your core positioning. And when I look at building people's brands and helping to advise people to build a stronger personal brand that really represents who they are, I find people are doing the right things in the wrong order. And the biggest thing they forget is figuring out exactly where they start. Because if you don't start in the right spot, you won't end up where you want to go. So the 313 is a method. It's a, it's a thought experiment that I bring people through a series of questions with, with outlines and, and things to try to hit. And at the end of the process, you end up with the ability to explain what you do in three sentences, down to one sentence, and ultimately down to three words. And I have a radio show called The 313 Show. You can go ryanfolen.com forward slash 313 show. And every week I bring on somebody and I work them through this process. And I have master marketers that at the end of it are like, wow, this is illuminating because this is what I do to people, but nobody's done it to me. And a lot of times... <laughs> I'll talk with people and the, this age old adage of the cobbler's son has no shoes is very true because we, we, it's so hard to evaluate what we say when we're the ones saying it. So it steps people through a series of questions and, and helps to refine down what you say based on what I believe are the three minimum pieces of elements of information that get people interested in what you do. And I yeah. argue, Max, that nobody cares what you do. Nobody cares. And it's, it's kind of a harsh reality that you don't want to accept. But mm -hmm. once you do, the world opens up. So nobody cares what you do, but they <laughs> care more about the problem that you solve. Right. Well, thank you for not caring. Uh, I don't care about <laughs> you either. <laughs> good, good. But if you, if you do have the problem that I solve, then you would be interested in this. This opens up a whole nother conversation because if you agree that people care more about the problem that you solve, then it's inherently true that you need to be able to explain what you do in terms of the problem that you solve. And when somebody mm -hmm. asks me what I do, I look at them, I smile, sometimes I smirk, and I say, I know this may sound funny, but it's not what I do that's important. It's the problem that I solve. That's why I get up. That's why I'm excited. That is what I'm focused on. And I stop talking, and then they will ask me, hmm, what problem do you solve? And then I'll tell them the problem. And I'll ask if it's a problem and then I'll ask them if they have that problem and I'll ask if it's something they're looking to solve soon. And if it is, then I say with a smile, I can help you out. But the trick is I've gotten them interested without even telling them what I do. And that's, that's magical at the end of the day. It is. You're a wizard. 
of sorts. Uh, <laughs> the wizard. The wizard of ginge. The wiz- <laughs> The wizard of ginge. We're going to set a record for ginger mentions and hungry, hungry hippos mentions. And I am totally happy with that. I wonder if there are ginger hippos, by the way. Now I'm really thinking. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, skies are, uh, you know, skies the limit. Hippo clouds are the limit. Yeah. Maybe there's an opportunity here for some hippo sunscreen if there are some skin issues out there. Okay. Anyways, I'm just thinking. <laughs> I'm getting creative here. Yeah, yeah, all for it. Ginger hippos unite. So let's dive in a little bit more to the 313. I mean, you want to do a quick test on you? You want me to run a real quick one and see how you do with it? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, you know, we could spend an hour going through this, but we'll just do a couple minutes. So, step number one tell me the problem that you solve without telling me what you do and say it one sentence. Companies need to find new customers to continue growing their business. Okay. So, Companies need so the so you're saying the problem is that companies need to find new customers to stay in business, right? So if I were to if I were to ask you the what you just said there on a scale of one to ten, how painful how painful is it in the way you described it? What would you judge yourself on a scale of one to ten? Your exact sentence there. Uh with ten being the most painful. Yes. Uh probably like a yeah, probably like an eight, maybe pushing up. Yeah, I mean. I, I kind of get the sense we can make it more concise here. Yeah, so it's it's not about being concise. It's about making it more painful. So here's the thing is that if I told you I had a paper cut, you would probably not do anything. You would probably say, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry that happened, Ryan. There's nothing for you to do. Right. But if I chopped my finger off while we were in the conversation and you heard me scream, a ginger blood curdling scream, and then, you know, it's just like chaos happening, you're going to sit there and go, Ryan, are you okay? Like, what can I do? Can I call 911? Can I come over there and help you with your finger? Can I take you to the hospital? Can I do stuff for you, right? Right. The difference between describing something as a problem, as a paper cut versus a finger being cut off is a determining factor of what people will associate that they have to do after the fact. So if you tell somebody the problem is businesses needs lead, need leads to stay in business, like mm-hmm. that comes across as a paper cut. But if you can add some more blood into it and say the, you know, the biggest problem that companies face is lack of sales. It, otherwise they, they crash and burn or they go out of bit. Like what is right, the blood? Yeah. What, what is the pain behind it? So Let's assume that somebody asks you, what do you do? And you say, it's not what I do. It's a problem that I solve. Mm-hmm. And they can say, what's the problem? And then you would hit that sentence and it would be bloody enough to where they'd be like, whoa, <laughs> right? right? So there's yeah, a bit yeah. of hyperbole and, and it's the idea is that if you describe the problem that you solve in a way that feels like a paper cut, then people aren't going to react to it. They're going to be like, okay, so what? Yeah, the, the, the ocean's filled with plastic. I get it. Right. So you have to bring right. it down to, to why it's painful for them, essentially. Okay. So there's mm-hmm. your, there's your first sentence. Sentence two, what do you do? Can you tell me one sentence? We sell mailing lists and email lists so companies can grow their business through marketing messages. Now that was probably a 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. But here, my question about the solution is, does that solution solve the problem that you stated? Yes. Just not very eloquently, I'd say. No, no, but the, the focus is on yes, because you'd be surprised how many people tell me a problem that they solve. And mm-hmm. then when they tell me their solution, it's not aligned. And so oftentimes there's a few steps missing. So the first step is to have the problem in a concise format that makes people feel the pain. The second is to state your solution, what your solution is, not how your solution works. And most people make the mistake when they get asked a what question, they will answer a how answer. So if somebody asks you what you do, 
if you just tell them what you do and then stop talking, don't get into the how, if mm-hmm. they're interested, they're going to ask you how it works. So again, part of this process is being able to tease out the information so that it engages the other person. So you're not just broadcasting what you're doing, but you're opening up for dialogue. So sentence one, problem. Sentence two, solution. Sentence three, market. Can you describe the market, your target market, without using the A word or the E word? Well, I'm not sure what A word and E word are. <laughs> good, good. Anyone or everyone. Anyone gotcha. or everyone. Okay. Well, we'll get real specific here because it's a, a large, where, where the majority of our business is. Okay. Dental parts manufacturers. Okay. Now, that the way you said it, just to be a little cheeky here, the mm-hmm. way you said it makes me think it's all dental manufacturers. Is there, are there, is there a subset within there or any kind of classification that, that helps you narrow that down even a little? Well, it's, it's dental equipment manufacturers. So largely, if we want to get even more specific, you could say- the reason, the reason I'm saying that is because, real, real quick, because technically that's all dental uh, equipment manufacturers, right? The, right? the concept here and what I'm trying to tease out is, is that if you are for everyone, you are for no one. And people have this like gut instinct to say that their market is a lot wider than it actually is. And right. the more specific you can get, the more you can take it away from people and the more you can help put the actual image of who your ideal target is into their mind, which helps them. Like if you said all dental you know, manufacturers, I'd be like, okay, that's a lot. But if mm-hmm. you specifically targeted and this and you, and you got more and more specific, then I actually might be able to connect you with somebody. So right. the three sentences is essentially defining and teasing out the single biggest problem that you solve, your what solution, not the how, and a very specific target audience. There is your business and what you do in three sentences. In order to move it to one sentence, if you've truly done the work, chosen one problem, the what solution, and the target market, then you can build a sentence six different ways. I solve this problem for these people, here's how I do it. These people have this problem, and here's what I do to solve it. And so you've, you've been able to take the three sentences down to one sentence with just mathematics. And the final, the three words, is really just two things in relationship to each other. So I, I'm just guessing, are, are you like a hippo of sales leads? <laughs> Yes, this uh, I would kind say of, okay. I would say ginger hippo of sales leads, but well. okay, good, good. Yeah, no, I like this. But so the idea is that you're using things that people most commonly know, and you're creating a metaphor or analogy that connects them together. So, like if you were a type of race car, or if you were a type of hotel, or if you were a type of superhero, what would that? What would this qualify you as? And then of something, uh, or in relation to, and when you do that. You're not telling people, you're tapping into what people think. And that's a way to get your idea into people's heads. So for example, you could think of the 313 as a tuning fork for your personal brand. And so now you think of a tuning fork and you're inside (laughs) somebody's head as opposed to just directly telling them. Because when you get people to engage their own brains based on what they know and make it relative to your situation, you're going to get more tension. You're going to get more interest. You're going to get more brain cells applying to what you do. So that's, that's the high level of the 313. Challenge is explaining yourself in three sentences, problem, solution, market, combining them into one as an exercise, and then using metaphor and analogy to sort of do a high level summary to get people to understand enough to get it, but not enough to totally get it. 
Wow. It's, it really makes you work. Like you really got to look internal and think. And I mean, just in, just in this brief example right there to explain the dental part a little bit more. So we're an official list licensee of the American Dental Association. So because of that, and, and a lot of our clients are dental manufacturers, obviously we, we have the best way to reach dentists through the mail. If you prefer to do direct mail or through email lists as well. So that's kind of the background in that world. So maybe there's a, you know, I'm envisioning sort of like the ginger hippo brushing his teeth right now. Or, I mean, you know, if you think about it, are you kind of like an electronic toothbrush of leads? Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Are you a Nerf? Are you a Nerf gun when it comes to, um, you know, outreach? Uh, are you like the United States Postal Service, but for dentists? Uh, you know, like... So <laughs> it's funny because as you come up with these relations, it's like your brain tries to figure it out. Your brain is a machine that tries to figure out everything that is happening at all given times. And if I said, you're kind of like the Sharpie marker of podcasts, doesn't necessarily make sense. But all of a sudden, like my brain's trying to make it make sense. Is this guy permanent? <laughs> is he a thick one or a small one? Okay, what what is, you know? So the idea is to use other concepts to make your concept makes sense. And once you get good at it, let's say you're talking with somebody and they're a car guy and you're like, Hey, are you into cars? They're like, yeah, maybe they don't really get digital marketing or maybe they really don't get mailing operations of what you're doing. And you could say, mm -hmm. you know, think about, think about what I do. I'm kind of like the carburetor for dental leads. Right? What does that mean? Well, I try to create the perfect mixture between air and gas, just like I try to create the perfect mixture between getting some piece of information in front of somebody, but not too much. Because if it's too rich and if it's too salesy, you know, it's going to be flooded just like it would flood your engine. And so now you get people mm -hmm. making these parallels of things that they intimately understand, which will help them understand what you do more effectively. And it, and it helps you to relate to people where they're at instead of a rehearsed elevator pitch. And you're just saying the same thing over and over, hoping that it just drills into somebody's head. Well, what I like so much about that is that it's it's clear imagery. It's just, it gives you an idea of, it puts a picture in their head, um, as you know very well with your drawing history. It puts a picture into their head of what you do and it's action oriented as opposed to something just that just feels sort of distant or rehearsed to your point. So, so that's a great methodology. And before we move on, is there an example that comes to mind of a client you work with that, or or, or just somebody you've done that exercise with where at the start of the 313, it was like like a 10-page <laughs> essay of what they did. And at the end, they beautifully brought it down to the most single three words there. Is there any anything that comes to mind? Yeah, there, there are a lot that come to mind. But one of the more recent people that I talked with, as she was trying to describe what she was doing, it was something along the lines of her helping authors become published by improving the way that they pitch their ideas by incorporating their stories as opposed to their articles. <laughs> a very, very long-winded element like that. And at the end of the day, we boiled it down to what she does. She is essentially the Zamboni of storytelling. Oh. And if you think of that visual, now she's from Canada. So she actually emailed me the day after we talked and she said that that day she had to go introduce herself in front of a whole large number of entrepreneurs. And she said that one of the first things she said is, look, think of me as a Zamboni of storytelling. 
And she said it was the most awkward and amazing silence. And then it seemed like everyone got it at the same time. And within within just a few seconds of her introduction, everybody was now trying to hang on every word she said to figure out how it related to cleaning sort of scrappy, dirty ice that isn't as good to skate on. And then the Zamboni comes. I don't know how the Zamboni works, but I know it does something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's clean, slick, ready for skating, smooth fast, all that kind of stuff. And, and she emailed me back. She's like, that was so amazing because before I would just have told them just literally what I do. And it tapped into her ability to tell stories as proof in the pudding of how she can help people think differently about the way they pitch their stuff. So that, that, that was a fun one. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I'm a fan of any Zamboni reference. So you hit the nail <laughs> on that. <laughs> can you imagine getting a 100% open rate on your next marketing message? Well, you can with extra-large postcards that are impossible to ignore. HippoDirect can help you find the perfect list of proven direct mail responders. We can even help lay out and design the postcard for you. Check us out at HippoDirect.com. Let's move into uh, some of the other parts of your career. So first thing here, TED Talks. You've done four TED Talks, and they are fantastic. I mean, just this morning, I was watching yours on how to get not how not to get caught by a bear <laughs> yeah how not to get chased by a bear yes yes yeah yeah and and i'm just blown away and 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 anybody listening should check it out um as as you mentioned at the start ryan you have sort of that theatrical and uh side of your personality Class, i'm classically trained i'm a classically trained <laughs> actor i have a lot of experience producing and i've always right. had passion for directing but it wasn't something that i knew about in fact i was so stressed out deciding my first first set of college classes because I went in undeclared and I went in as an honor student so I got first choice of all the classes that I wanted and I just could not decide so I had my mom choose all of my first classes and I said it really doesn't matter because I'm undeclared and I didn't even look at it till the first day and then I ended up in this what was this massive class which ended up being a theater this is how like naive I was I was not a theater kid or didn't even know it existed (laughs) in high school and of course, I sat next to a cute girl. That's what I did. And I built a relationship by writing notes. We ended up playing, uh, you know, if you ever want a good game to play with somebody randomly, you reach over and you just draw a hashtag on the paper. And then you start playing a little tic-tac-toe, breaks the ice. So we started talking. And at the end, <laughs> the teacher said something like, all right, and if anybody wants extra credit, and this is like this is like a marble to my hippo right here. Like I hear extra credit and I just want to jump and get it. So yeah. I'm like, are you going to go get extra credit? She's like, yeah. I'm like, cool, I'll go too. So I showed up. She didn't show up. Somebody called my name. It was a girl. And I was like, yeah. And they pulled me in, gave me a piece of paper, sat me down in a chair with four other people looking at me and said, read. So I read it. They laughed. I ran off and I cried. I was like, this is the most miserable night of my college career. The uh-huh. girl didn't show up. Everybody laughed at me. Long story short, uh, I got called back for this part in a play. Didn't even really make sense to me at the time, but I showed up at this house. There was a bunch of elderly classmen and there was a bunch of beer. And I was like, this could be cool. Here we go. And it ended up being a student run theater group that I got involved with. I started to act. I acted again. I produced, produced, directed, took the whole thing over. We were called the Sherwood Players. We're still alive today. But the fact of the matter was that because of my... I guess, naivete about about how this was all working. I just sort of followed into the opportunity as it as it came about. And then I became classically trained. And when you have a foundation of what has historically worked, and then you can build upon it, that's when things become your own. And so mm-hmm. this first TEDx talk was about not getting chased by a bear. 
and I was working with entrepreneurs. I was an entrepreneur. I had entrepreneuritis, uh, which I make fun of. And it's just like, there's so many things that are stressing us out as though they are bears. And so I took some classically trained elements, brought them to the TEDx stage, but it was still my message and my experience. And that's what makes something like the TEDx platform so unique. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a super fun talk. And I have to say, you are the best power walker I've ever seen. <laughs> Do you know how long I practiced with that? And like, I had friends and like, they're like, no, stick your ass out more. No, no, more on hips, more of this and that. And oh gosh. Yeah. It was a, uh, I'm a good power walker, unfortunately, yeah. just because of a lot of practice. Yeah. Or, or fortunately, I mean, I, I'm sure there's awards for that too, but the, <laughs> it's an Olympic sport, I think. <laughs> I think it's what makes your TED talk so interesting is it's not like you're just standing there and talking and, you know, smiling or smirking. Like you literally, you were on the stage, you were off the stage, you're behind the stage, you're power walking, you're running away from an an imaginary bear, uh, or maybe it was real depending on who you ask, but uh, (laughs) it's just so engaging. And how, how did your background in that theater class and that experience, how did you take that and transition? Say, you know what? I want to become a speaker. I want to do this stuff on stage and share my message with a bigger audience. Well, to unpack, there's a couple questions in there. And to one, which you talked about, what of the classically trained elements came out? And one of the things that people forget about when they're speaking is what their body's saying, even when they're not talking. And to use what is the term uh, is called blocking. People forget about that. Literally, the where the where your hand is, how you are in a relationship to, if you're moving forward, if you're moving back, if you're running off stage, if you're running behind stage, if you're screaming, if you're power walking, uh, if you look at that talk, a lot of what I say happens when I don't say anything. And so what makes <laughs> that talk powerful is that it's not just what is coming out of my mouth. It's, it's what is happening. And it's so funny because I, I practiced a lot for that. And I ran around in so many different random places like practicing. But in that moment, it was so real. Like I felt like I was physically scared and out of breath. And I literally was like out of breath for the whole rest of the time. And I was like, <laughs> it, like it was just so real. Like, huh. So yeah. the other element is really the willing suspension of disbelief. And this is so powerful, not only as someone who's on stage, but powerful as an audience member. And I think it's easy for us to forget because we're, there's so much virtual reality and, and things are so crisp on our computer screen and, and edited videos are so video edited. Like, I think there's a desensitized amount of your brain. And it's like, if you can just sit there and really have the willing suspense, you're, you're willingly suspending this idea of what could happen, could happen. It's such a powerful tool. So by sort of breaking breaking down the, the traditional standing and talking conventions, I was able to, to rattle the cage a little bit more and hopefully engage people. Um, but it can also work <laughs> to your disadvantage in my fourth talk. Um, <laughs> I was doing a full-fledged jump um, when I talk about pouncing versus pausing. And in that jump, my countryman mic came out of my head. And so I had a dangling Ooh. mic for half the time, which created a bunch of tech issues and whatnot. So you know, it's <laughs> How does this all relate back to me and speaking as a career? I think that it gets back to my passion for for connecting with people. And yeah. there's something about being live on stage where anything can go wrong at any time. And like, you know, you, you hear someone's breath in between their words and it's either captivating or it's absolutely boring. And that challenge, I think, is one that I've accepted and helps me to just push my own conventions, my own limits. And I'm a big fan of not memorizing but preparing and improvising. And it's just exciting. Like there's certain things in life, 
you know, whether it's skiing or snowboarding or surfing or uh, all these things, it creates that taps into that adrenaline. For me, when I'm up on stage, um, that pressure turns into excitement. And, and I think it's, that is why I enjoy doing it. And the fulfillment I get from making small impacts on people, I'm going to go to, to a word which is overused, but I will, I will define it. It truly is influence at the end of the day. But the way I define influence is twofold. It's that you're getting people to think differently and getting them to take action. And for me, that is, that is pure influence. And there's about, I talk about 11 or 12 different types of influence. But at the end of the day, if I can influence people to change the way they think and influence people to take action on this new thought process, then to me, there's nothing more powerful because our brains are so powerful. And if we can if, if I can get in there, shuffle things up a little bit, create a little bit different perspective, and then empower people with the tools to take action, and they actually take action, that's when it's, it's very rewarding. And you mentioned how powerful it can be just to you know, have that suspense and to just be human up there. When you were breathing heavily, I mean, I was out of breath. I felt like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's true. But you've done endless speeches all over the world and you've done these TED speeches or TEDx speeches. What's the biggest difference in preparing for a TED talk versus one of your other speeches? Yeah, so the, the biggest and most obvious is the amount of time because TED talks are historically 18 minutes or less. And I've played with those different levels. I've had a talk that's just about 17 and I've my, my most recent was six minutes and 45 seconds. And huh. when you try to con condense your message uh, in a shorter and shorter and shorter format, it gets gnarly difficult. You have to start cutting stuff out that you might think is necessary, but then you have to find another way to communicate it. So if you're, if I'm doing a keynote and it's a longer format, I have more time. There's a chance to dive into stories. There's a way to make it relevant based on what's happening in the news now, tying it back in with the audience, uh, relating to them from an inspiration plus practical advantage. And when you're dealing with a TED talk, it needs to be tighter. It needs to be one solid singular message. It's got to be something that can appeal to a wider audience. Uh, it can't be boring. You know, there's everything from tonal inflection to excitement to the content of material. And it's, it is the classic conundrum of why it is so difficult to make things simple. And a shorter talk, uh, you really have to put in a lot more work from a strategy and structure and where am I going to be and what is my hand going to be doing and, and how am I going to position this? And then you, you polish it up and then you get out there and it's always going to be a little bit different when it comes out. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's the, the X factor there. So a, a keynote is longer in its format. You have a lot more time to bring people through a process. And a TEDx talk, you're fighting the attention. I mean, if you don't get them within the first 30 seconds, they probably won't watch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas a keynote, they're forced to sit there for 45, I guess, <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, their hands are strapped to the, the chair. So it's all. It's yeah. all. <laughs> and speaking of keeping it simple, in addition to your resume of incredible made up titles that are actually very impressive, <laughs> you are the world's best stick figure artist. <laughs> wow, this is cool. No, no, I haven't I haven't officially said had somebody say that. But but yes, I do draw stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So can you share the story of how you got started doing that and why you do it? Sure. There was a, a moment where I thought I was getting fired and my whole world flashed in front of me. I talk about it in my second TEDx talk, I think. 
You, you just have so many TED Talks that you lost. I know. Back of it. <laughs> I, can, I can reference them. But there are inciting incidences, things that happen where maybe it takes years to sort of come to a boiling point and then everything sort of is a pinnacle at that moment. You know, you might feel like you're overweight, but then when your button literally pops off your pants, that's the inciting incident. And so for me, <laughs> the inciting incident was when I was convinced I was getting fired after really feeling like I had done a great job but just a bit of an unconventional job. And in that moment, while my boss's boss is talking, I'm going through my head, okay, everything that I've done, I've invested into this company, just like all my other companies. And when those companies fail or go down or I leave, I have nothing left to show for it. I said, this is it for the final time from here on out, no matter what I do, it's going to be for the company, but also for me and building my personal brand. Like there was a moment. Uh, and so from yeah. that moment, I made a decision to control what I could of my narrative and pay, pay attention to what I was saying online when I wasn't speaking and, and making a commitment to grow a digital footprint that represented who I was. And as part of this, I was like, okay, I've got to get on social media. So this is about three years ago and I really had no social presence. Um, so I got an Instagram handle and I'm like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> like, like, like that was it. Like I just had this empty yeah. Instagram. I'm like, I know I need to do something. And you know, everybody needs a little rah-rah and I'm a fan of, of Mr. Tony Robbins and I had gone to one of his Unleash Your Power Within events. Somebody actually bought me a ticket. They were just so excited to, to share what he did. And so in that workshop seminar three-day thing or whatever, you really do a lot of self-discovery and at a certain point he said, here is the challenge. Find one thing that you can do that's simple every day and then find something else that's just a big, hairy, audacious goal that's going to take you years to do. And in that moment, I was thinking, what can I do every day that's simple? And I've historically always been a doodler, always drawn, always, uh, my notes always look exciting to me. And so I thought, <laughs> I can draw stick figures. So at that moment, I, I took a picture of doing a jump karate kick in front of the flame background, and then I walked on coals, and then the next day I drew my first stick figure, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And every single day, I started drawing stick figures. And the funny thing is, I used other people's quotes until I actually ran out of quotes because I need them to be like five words or less. So I started to <laughs> think in terms of quotes. Every day I would sit there and be like, okay, I've got to draw something today. What happened? Okay, talk to this guy about hippos. Hippo what? What's a hippo? Okay, and I come up with a quote based on it and then I draw it. And so it, it, it literally came out of necessity for me taking ownership of my own story, finding something that I could do every day and then repeating it. And as a result... I'm known for these stick figures. Um, I use them yeah. as lead images for all kinds of stuff. I've illustrated books with them. Uh, there's, there's this whole traction and momentum that now I have, but that's just because I've been doing the same simple thing every day for three years. And one of my core principles that I love teaching people is successful blank. So let's say successful stick figure jars in this situation, okay? Mm -hmm. Successful stick figure jars are not doing things that everybody else cannot do successful stick figure drawers are doing what everyone can do, but not everyone does. And it, it could be stick figures. It could be writing a book. It could be writing blog posts. It could be doing daily videos. It could be doing a podcast. Everybody can get up a little bit earlier. Everybody can put their pen to paper. Everybody can actually hit the go button, but not everybody does. So for me, it's a constant reminder that it's the small, simple things that you can do on the daily that add up. And, you know, I, I talk about a concept called the IROI, the invisible ROI. People are like, well, 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 what, how do you know you're going to get an ROI on your stick figures? Well, 
I knew for the first few years that I wouldn't be able to see it. It would be invisible. But the <laughs> fact that I kept on doing it, I would start to, you know, like how uh, Marty McSorley is, is looking at the pictures and they disappear or appear based on what happens. Well, it's like the, the picture of, the, of these stick figures, the real metric of ROI is there. It's in the picture, but it's like fading in and out and I can't necessarily see it. So having the faith that small steps in the same direction over a long period of time will get you to where you are. That's a trick of becoming a speaker. That's a trick of becoming a successful podcaster and the trick of becoming a successful stick figure professional. And now we have your roadmap to becoming a successful stick figure professional. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's, it's an idea that really sticks. But uh, <laughs> <So. laughs> Figuratively. Oh, okay. Wow. So uh, I, I thought I was taking it one step too far, <laughs> but it's really cool. You've stu you've stuck with it, um, and you're so diligent with it, and it's become a real. It's it's worked wonders for your personal brand. So uh, it's always fun to check out what you're coming up with. Yeah, and if you if you are so inspired and you've got a good five word or less quote, you can tweet me, and I might even draw it. You can you can get me at Ryan Fallen, and sometimes somebody will tweet <laughs> something. I'll be like, "Is that an original quote?" And they'll say, "Yeah," and then I'll draw it and I'll tag them in it, and they're like, "Fuck, fuck, fuck, fuck." Cool. <laughs> there we go. All right. Crowdsourcing stick figure quotes. This is, I think this is like, this is a new era. Let's get to a segment on inspiration and creativity. So Mr. Stick figure, what do you do to stay creative? I look up and this is something I tell people all the time is, is look up. Uh, I think that for me, visually looking up just, is a, is a great way to ground myself, to see nature, to see clouds. It has a sort of aspirational, you know, you're just, there's so much that's up there that's out there. And if I ever want to be humbled, I think of how crazy the universe is. And to me, that sort of infinite intimidation helps me to realize that there's an infinite amount of creativity. There, there are so many different planets, so many different versions. Everything is changing so much. I'm so, I've got this rose that's decided to fight through my neighbor's fence and come out about three to four feet towards my window. And it's just like blooming towards me this way. So <laughs> I look for inspiration and creativity in nature. Uh, if I need to get recharged, yeah. I will walk outside. And I do so much looking down that uh, I always make sure to look up. So for me, creativity comes from nature. Um, there's some really great studies around the fact that your brain is a creative machine. You just have to let it work. And a stressed brain is not a creative brain. You might read a book, you might listen to this podcast, you might play Hungry Hungry Hippos, and then all <laughs> of a sudden, you put yourself in a situation where you're in nature, there's trees, there's birds, there's a lake, you have no stresses in your entire life at that moment, and all of a sudden, the Hungry Hippos connect with the book, connect with the podcast, and you have this epiphany. This is why you get good ideas in the shower, people, is because you're vulnerable, you're safe, it's warm, it's comfy, you have no worries for that five or six minutes and then all of a sudden your brain is relaxed at that one moment and then boom, you get the good idea. So for me, creativity is putting yourself in a place where you can let your brain connect its own dots. Wow. You know, we dive deep into creativity on this podcast and there's always so many amazing answers and, and of course creative answers, but I've never heard something as simple as look up. And it's yeah. so true. I mean, it's just, just thinking about it kind of opens up <laughs> your mind. So you love nature. What are your favorite hobbies to do outside then? So sailing is, uh, I, I like to say that I'm working my life designed to either be sailing or speaking and ultimately sailing and speaking. But I was going to say, are you sailing right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but I went down and visited my boat uh, this weekend and got her a little ship shape. And I've got 
uh, the ability to sail out of Newport Harbor and I've got buddies with sailboats and and even sometimes when I'm walking along, it's windy. I'll just like pretend like I'm sailing. No, but to be <laughs> honest, sailing for me is this pure form where where function uh, and physics meets impredictability. You know, it, it, it really reminds me that I cannot control the waves or I cannot control the wind, but I can control the vessel and the sails. And I just, I just go back to that in life. You know, you can't predict and you can't influence what's happening to you. This goes back to initially, yeah, you have your chance of, of how you react to things and your attitude. And for me, those are analogous to your main sheet or your jib. Like, work with what you've got. And it's just this pure moment of me and nature and trying to make the best out of it. That is why I love sailing so much. Awesome. All right. Well, next podcast we will uh, we'll do together. We'll we'll do it while while sailing. So, <laughs> no, we could do that. We could do that for sure. Yeah, I want to jump back on when our book comes out in October. So we'll I'll be in a sailboat if if that's what needs to happen. Let's do it. There we go. Yeah. Hopefully, there's not too much like uh, wind in the background, but we'll <laughs> if that's what happens, then we'll work with it. it. It's worth the yeah, worth the price of admission. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to a section called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The wild business shout out of the week. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive. Wild business shout out of the week. This is where we talk about a brand or campaign that's pretty interesting. And there's actually something that you're doing with your book that we should dive into. So can you talk about that, how, how you're marketing it? Yeah, shout out to Ditch the Act, which is a book that Leonard Kim and I wrote. And we're trying something creative, which is we've made its own Twitter account. and the Twitter account will actually be a book. And this is a, a newer a newer angle for us. And we're, we're going to see how much organic growth we can get by creating a Twitter account that is a book. So the book has no arms, book has certain limitations. And so it's kind of fun. We've been playing around with being a little sassy, kind of fun, creative, and realistic, <laughs> going back to the fact that we are a book. So uh, I, I saw you followed, which is cool. I think we're in the couple hundred following range. And for us, it's an exercise to see how many people would legitimately be interested in, in connecting with the book from now until October mm -hmm. because social media doesn't sell books. There's this huge like, oh, you have a bunch of followers, you can sell stuff. No, social media following doesn't mean anything. It's about having a connected community that would engage based on what they want. Just because they follow me doesn't mean they're going to buy from me. So this idea of building a persona of a book on Twitter, we're going to be the Wizard of Oz is behind it, trying to see how we can kind of best engage and interact. And I think that'll be a fun shout out. So if you want to follow Ditch the Act, it's at Ditch the Act. And the book is about how you don't have to look like everyone else or be like everyone else to stand out from everyone else. The best thing you can do is, is be yourself. Always a great message. And where did you come up for the idea to Twitterize the book? You know, we, we had the domain or we had the handle. We got it about six months ago. And then we got a notification from Twitter that our account had been suspended due to inactivity. Ah. And then we jumped on it. We're like, wait a minute. So this means we need to do something with it. And uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that was the inciting incident for us to figure out what the heck to do with it. And so we've been talking creatively about it. And just because somebody said that uh, you're inactive, therefore you're in trouble, was enough motivation to become active. 
<laughs> there we go. So these things work, but I'm excited to stay connected and see what, uh, see what the book comes up with and tweets out. So, so yeah, it's very, yeah. very cool. I like your approach. It, it, it is, it's so true. Obviously, you know, you have a big network, you can reach more people, but there's no guarantee that you're going to sell things that way. Um, so I think personifying or Twitterizing. Yeah, Twitterizing. Twitter, Twitterizing. We'll just add in extra R's in there or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great approach to it. We'll see how it goes. It should be fun. Yeah, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll close the book on that once it's all done. Bam! So let's wrap up. So we've only got a little bit of time left here. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for let's it? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, let's get wild. Who is your favorite ginger of all time? You know what? I would have to say... Ginger from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> That's a great example. And historically, there is argument online that that is one of the reasons why those people with red heads uh, are called gingers because culturally, oh. ginger being known as ginger, even though it was black and white, which was kind of funny for a long time. So good little piece of history. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, also, you're in addition to being an expert power walker, you are, you are an expert dancer. What's your favorite dance move? Well, I have two patent pending dance moves. One is called the NTF and one is called the WBD. So of the two, because um, I can't disclose too much information, but I think that the NTF, it has been revolutionary and it will continue to be. Uh, it stands for the no touch freak. And it is an exercise <laughs> in proximity. And what you do is if, if you are on a dance floor, you match the movements with the person who's far away. And... Uh, you get closer and closer and then you communicate with them. You say, hey, let's try this new fun dance. It's called the, the NTF. And then they ask, well, what's that? It's a no-touch freak. So here's the thing. We can get as close as we can, but we're not allowed to touch. If you touch me, you'll lose. If I touch you, you'll lose. So let's try it out. And then you create distance in a space and the whole focus is on finding the rhythm. And then the longer that you dance without trying to touch, at a certain point, someone will get frustrated and be like, just come here, let's just dance and touch kind of thing. <laughs> It is an amazing process of, of a, of a real-time takeaway that earns you respect. Uh, you're not just trying to grope on somebody and that it actually becomes more fun because you're focused on dancing, not trying to focus on you know, your, your classic like, hey, let's get close and touch. It, you gain more respect quicker. You'll dance with more people. Yeah. All about the NTF. Wow. And, and I believe it was unintentional, but that you're perfectly describing my high school dance experience. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and now, now you know that there's an actual name for it. So who knew this whole time? Uh, <laughs> all right. What are, what is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, my biggest pet peeve is when people start their sentence with, um, and it's just, it, it doesn't affect me, <laughs> but I know it affects them. Now saying, um, is totally cool if it's in the middle of your sentences. But when you start a sentence with the word um, you start the answer with a word um, you are doing yourself injustice. You are way better owning that pause and not saying anything. If you watch my fourth TEDx talk, you will learn the only thing you own is the amount of time that you choose to take before you choose to speak. Don't waste it on the word um, because people will judge you because of it. So don't say um as the first sentence, please. Okay, that's it. That was my preach. I was just pausing a few seconds, so I didn't say um. I like it. I felt good about it. Yeah, yeah it, it's true. And I know as a speaker, you've obviously worked on it over the years of not saying that word. Yes. But yeah, embrace, embrace the silence. It can be powerful. All right. And last question. If you were a pro wrestler, what would your wrestling name be? Ginger Cannon. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I have to admit, I saw ginger something coming, but I had no <laughs> idea where you're going to take it. I like yeah, it. I pro- I probably shoot onto the stage from a cannon. I probably have a custom cannon drop. Um, you know, I, I would, I probably have, <laughs> yeah, Wait. I can see that working real well. <laughs> After you win, you, uh, you shoot off the stage in a cannon too. There's, there's just no, no shortage of ginger cannons here, <laughs> but Ryan, Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, and sharing all of your, you know, let's just say there's a few, there's a few interesting things you do and a few uh, talents you have. So not, not that you're yep. a man of many talents, but thanks for, thanks so much for coming on. And where's the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah. So Twitter's the best social place to get me. You can find everything else about me on ryanfolan.com. And if you are an executive or you are a company or you are a conference, you want me to come and spread my ginger juice across the stage and get everybody pumped up and teach them how to (laughs) more effectively communicate by saying less, you can check out ryanfolan.com forward slash speaking. And to give a couple shameless podcast plugs at the bottom of that page, ryanfolan.com forward slash speaking, I've got two podcasts and a radio show. And so you can check it out, The World of Speakers, where I talk with speakers and learn their tips to help improve my skills. As a speaker, you are always learning. And then I have a Scale Up Heroes podcast. We talk with companies that are more than 10 million in revenue, how they deal with the problems of scale. And then the 313 show, which we should have you on sometime. We'll do a deep dive and get your 313 ship shape. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll be more smooth than this time. So we'll, (laughs) but but would love that. Um, I didn't know you were a speaker. I'm just kidding. Hey, here's, here's the final thing. Here's the final thing. I question for you. Are you a public speaker? Yes or no? I have not yet technically started my public speaking career, but it is something I'm interested in. That's the wrong answer, sir. Because if you speak (laughs) public, then you are a public speaker. It's a scientific fact that you cannot prove it either. Talking to your mom or talking to your dad, or even with your cat, it doesn't matter. If you speak in public, (laughs) then you are a public speaker. So you're over it. So now, now you're moved past that. Yes, I'm a, I'm a veteran, actually. Yeah. All right, final thoughts. You have a final quote. Maybe it's a stick figure quote, or maybe it's just a line. Anything you want to end with. Choose your words wisely and choose them starting in your head because thoughts become words and words become things. So think the thoughts you want. It's the sound of the ginger cannon. Thank you so much, Ryan Fullen. Kaboom! cannonball thank you so much ryan for sharing your ginger juice with us and thank you wild listeners for tuning in to another edition of the wild business growth podcast if you enjoyed the show make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts there's also plenty of other things we think you'll enjoy, including our blog at hippodirect.com blog and our weekly creative marketing newsletter at hippodirect.com newsletter. And make sure to connect with us on your favorite social platform with the handles hippodirect and Max Brandstetter. That's all for this episode. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!